Welcome into Phil's Tax Hacks and Other Retirement Facts with CPA and Personal Financial Specialist, Phil Putney. Now let's get rolling with today's show. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Phil's Tax Hacks and Other Retirement Facts with Phil and myself talking investing, finance, and retirement once again. Uh, We've got an interesting conversation really over the next two podcasts. We're going to talk a lot about financial jargon, a lot of terms and things that we hear on the regular. And then we'll also kind of translate that into how it relates to your professional that you might be working with and what some of their jargon means and and just kind of how it all, you know, plays together. So hopefully you guys will enjoy all that stuff. And of course, Phil's here with me once again. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I am doing great. Doing great. Yeah. And our, our industry does not uh, lack jargon. That is for sure. So. It doesn't disappoint in that category. <laughs> no, not at all. I think acronyms are going to be the kind of the next one beyond that, but you know, all the yeah, different right. it's, ways it's of shortening true. things. So. You know, our, our last podcast, Phil, has been resonating pretty well about guessing in retirement. And so people hopefully are realizing, hey, you know, guessing is not a good idea. We need to actually put some, you know, put some practice in here and get some things done. So we thought maybe jargon would be a good way to kind of go, you know, to kind of bring up some things that you're going to be hearing if you've never worked with an advisor or if you have and you just, you know, uh, some of the stuff's pretty basic, which I think most of us know, but it's always good for a refresher. But then there's some other things that people might not be comfortable with. So, but anyway, uh, the all-time high for the Dow was at around 36,000. We dropped into territory that was considered correction. We got down to around 32. At the time we're taping this, it's back up to 35 and a half. It's almost back to the high. So is it a bear? Is it a bull? What's the difference? Yeah, and that's always the the funny part is you never know until we get through it, you know, and you know, the fact that we're almost back to the high, that still doesn't mean that this was the the start of a bear market because until we get beyond it and it's, you know, months out where you can see, okay, yeah, we hit that the peak and now it's bottoming or whatever the the case is right that's why they're always you know uh telling you so to speak in the rearview mirror okay this is when it started here's when it ended but yeah so i mean by definition of bear markets that general decline in a market over a period of time right usually 20 percent is kind of the the key that they look at over at least a, a two-month period so it can't just be a quick drop because oh, it's two months right back up it was again. two quarters for some reason um, well, two months, two or two periods. I mean, yeah, so probably two quarters. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, you know, so a, a more extended drop, you know, so not something yeah. that's just a, a quick drop and back up. Yeah. You know, so even like the pandemic, I mean, there's all discussion on was that really a bear market or not? Uh, it's kind of a short period of time. You yeah. Know, it was down and back pretty quick. Um, yeah. So generally it's that more extended okay. downturn in a market, you know, so yeah. everyone goes from being, you know, the investor optimism, now they're starting to get fear, pessimism, you know, right. what, what, you know, where should we be investing at this point? So, well, and we're kind of obsessed with records. So I think one camp is like, well, yeah. if we haven't technically seen a bear market, then we're on a what, 12 or 13 year bull. Well, basically. Yeah. And that's kind of a record if I'm not mistaken. So it, we, it absolutely. Yes. I mean, usually kind of like obsessed with that, you know, yeah, usually uh, bull markets on the flip side. I mean, there are eight, 10 years, you know, yeah. is the average eight and a half, I think is the average out there. Yeah. So yeah, so we're, and, we, and we've talked about that and, and everyone's talked about that for years that, yeah, this is the longest running bull, right? You know, which technically, I mean, it still is. We haven't, um, you know, broken through for that extended period of time. We've right. had definite volatility, right? Yeah, some, for sure. some downs, but well, I'm going to stick with my Rocky analogy until this thing proves me wrong, because yet again, it's taken yep. a bunch of punches to the face early in 22, and it seems to be getting back up again. 
in spite yep. of our next topic, which is inflation. Uh, that's yeah. the, next, the next term I want you to just kind of give us a quick uh, little synopsis on. Sure. Well, I mean, generally, that's, you know, a progressive increase in prices of goods in the economy over time, right? So, um, but the, the real question is, okay, well, why does it happen? Why does it happen? You know, it really, it comes down to a lot of money chasing too few of goods, right? Yeah. So, it, it's kind of a, a couple of pieces of, of uh, money that, that gets uh, played into here. Number one, the supply. So, there's been a, an increase in supply of money. Right. Which, I mean, we obviously saw that through the pandemic. I mean, there was a lot of money put into the economy to try to, to bring us back out of that quickly. And it did. Um, but now we're seeing the other side of that is that that money is is out there chasing goods that aren't there. You know, so that I, causes inflation. I had someone know? tell me a great way to think about inflation. It was really simple. I don't think I've shared this before, sure. but he said, if you, you got 10 apples and you got yep. uh, ten dollars. Well, how much does yeah. each apple cost, right? Costs a dollar each, right? Sure. So you influx a whole bunch of cash, uh, like we did with the, you know, with the stimulus and things. Now you got yeah. fourteen dollars and still ten apples. So how much does each apple cost? Dollar forty, right? Yeah. That's inflation. Now you take away, you know, uh, three of the apples. Now you only have seven, and you got fourteen yeah. bucks. Now each apple costs two dollars, right? So yeah. you got more money, less product, inflation. And yeah, and that's exactly what we've seen and, and kind of what spurred this on. I mean, generally, it doesn't happen in this fashion this quickly, but we've had a lot of pieces play into it. Right. You know, the other side of it is going to be that velocity of the money, meaning how many times does that dollar turn over? And we've seen a lot of that. Okay. I mean, if there's if the money is just in the economy and no one's spending it, they're saving it. Well, it's really not going to cause inflation because it's in right. the bank. You know, Which it's we kind of didn't see. We kind of didn't see during the lockdowns because nobody was spending. Yes, no one was spending, right? So that's why you know you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, this has been like two years. Why are we just now seeing this? Yeah, it's because people had the the time, you know, at that point to save it. They didn't. They couldn't use it. Couldn't spend it. Yeah. You know, things were shut down. They couldn't go on vacation. Or you just you couldn't know, find the product. A lot of times at home, you yeah. couldn't find the product. You know, so now that things are opening up a little bit more. There's all this money, this surplus that's been accumulated that is all of a sudden starting to come into the economy and chase goods that the supply chains have been, you know, uh, cut down and, and compressed and not as many goods out there. So we're starting to see that inflation jump up. Okay. So we've got the bear in the bull that we go to the inflation, which we've been experiencing for sure. Uh, and then there's talk of the recession, Phil. At what point? Right. You know, so what does the term mean? And then at what point are we looking at it? And a lot of the conversation is around if the Fed continues to raise the rates. Now they've said, I think they've done what, one quarter point so far in 22. I think right. they said six or seven more maybe this year with another two or three next year. So maybe yep. 10 different times. And some people you know, speculate that that could put us into a recession. Explain that. Right. And that's always that that balancing act that the Fed's trying to play, you know, because a recession is is when economic activity starts to slow because people aren't spending, right. you know, so you got a significant decline in, you know, all the different segments of the market. So, you know, the goods, the, uh, you know, income, employment, ind industrial production, everything, retail sales, it all starts to decline because people aren't spending. Right. And that's really the, the purpose of, of the feds raising money is they're trying to entice people to save it now versus spend it because we can, you know, get more by, by investing it. So maybe we shouldn't save it, you know? So yeah. that's, that's generally the concept with the feds raising the interest rates is 
trying to slow the spending, that velocity. You're curtailing the need to the 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 borrowing want. People won't want to borrow right. it because it costs more to borrow. Right, right. Borrow or to save, both sides of that equation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they're they're trying to to slow down the spending mm-hmm. by number one, cost, yeah, making it cost more if you're going to borrow to do it, or making it more enticing to save. If you save, right? Yeah. And you know, versus a- just spending it, so. Right. So the one of the things I heard in there was employment and company. So that's where the real, I guess, rubber meets the road in the whole thing, because while, you know, for a lot of us, it's, it's that, do we save some or whatever the case is, but really it's about the corporations and the hiring and so on and so forth that can happen with, with the, uh, with that type of thing. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's that longer term effect. I mean, it starts out with what you start to see, you know, but then it ends up, you know, corporations reacting like inflation today. You know, everyone's thinking, oh, you know, prices are going up. But I mean, that's not just for you. That's for the companies as well. So that's why their prices are going up. And I mean, eventually this starts to have the effect on the economy and things start to slow down. You know, that's why I said it's it's a balancing act from the the Fed standpoint, you know, think about almost like a break, right? They're trying to put a break on the the spending, you know, in the economy yeah. to, to slow it down because it heated up really quick from that inflationary standpoint, but yet they can't just slam on it because then it's going to throw <laughs> us into the recession all of a sudden. Right. You know, so yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, uh, a tough thing to do. It's know? driving, it's driving a sports car, right? It's driving a hot rod exactly. and trying to make yep. sure that you don't get too crazy. You don't go too Pump the brakes, a little bit of gas back yeah. and forth. I mean, it's, yeah, don't you break know, too hard I mean, or you, spin out. Yeah, we have to go through these bull and these bear, the corrections bring back the, you know, the normal type of a market. Same thing with an economy. I mean, it's not healthy for an economy to go through either no inflation, you know, or high inflation levels. You've got to go through these both sides of the the equation, the inflation, deflation, you know, get into the the recession, market growth. I mean, it's, yeah, Yeah. it's it's just what, you know, pros and cons, both sides of that yin and yang, whatever you want to look at, you know, the, the way the economy, the markets work. Yeah. We go through these cycles. It's something that's nothing new. Um, inflation, just like the market, something that, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking, what in the world happened? We haven't, you know, we haven't had this in 40 years. Well, you're right. Yeah, this, this we've, gotten kind, used, right exactly. we've gotten used to this, you know, nominal 2%, 2.5% type of inflation. And I mean, that's well, we, not real either. We can you, only know, just, you have to look at that right. long term. Yeah, we can only distort things to to for so long before they have to kind of reset themselves. Natural balance, right. whatever you want to call it. Uh, same thing yep. with nature. So, so you got the inflation, then there's the talk of the recession, which you mentioned now volatility. So these two conversations tend to make. And granted, the whole European thing is obviously adding to the volatility, but these two yes. other terms lead to the term of volatility, which is what. Yeah. So, I mean, volatility, the way I think of it is if you think of kind of that average return, right, you know, draw a line of that average return, volatility then is the returns above and below that line, you know, okay. so the the swings up and, and, you know, above and below that line. So mm-hmm. the, the, the bigger the swing, the more the volatility, right? you know, so something that's low volatility is going to hover right around that line, but it's not going to be very far above or below it at any point in time. Yeah. You know, so I, that, uh, it's the, the ups and downs, the roller coasters, if you want to think yeah. of it that way, of, you know, how big those ups and downs are. So I thought this was kind of an interesting analogy for volatility. You take your sure. dog for a walk on a leash and you've got him next to you and he'll walk a straight line with you. 
But yeah. if you go to the same area and walk and you take him off the leash, he's zigzagging all over the place. All over the place. If, yeah. if you're on the path and the path is that line you were just talking about, he's over here, he's over there, or she, whatever the yeah. case is, right? So that's kind of that yeah, volatility. Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was an interesting way to think about that, especially for all those. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves dogs, right? So uh, yeah, it's, yeah, you got to bring the dog into the equation. So you got to bring a dog <laughs> into it. So that's a that's volatility for you. So then risk tolerance then becomes the question from the volatility because that's what we saw in January and February and early March. People going correct. I can't handle this volatility, Phil. Right. Yeah, and, and that's really risk tolerance then is how much of that are you comfortable with? You know, right. what what does that look like for you? Everyone likes the swing above the line. I mean, you give me as much of that as you can, right? Mm-hmm. But what they don't like is the swing below the line. You know, so it's what what are you comfortable with? That that's what you have to answer and invest according to your risk because you don't want to be in a scenario that, like I said, everyone likes the swing above. We've gotten used to these right. highs, but for that, you have to be comfortable with the swing below too. And if not, that's when we start taking it off the table, right? And that's the, and I tell my clients this all the time when we're going through this discussion, you know, you've got to, to get here, you've got to be comfortable with here. And you don't want to decide when you're down there that I'm not comfortable with that because now it's the wrong time to make that decision. So let's have that discussion right now. This is, you know, everyone wants to, I want a 10% return. Okay. Well, that's fine. You got to be comfortable with maybe losing, you know, 20%. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Well, no, I, you know, you know, well, then this probably isn't realistic. It just doesn't exist. That's not how things work. And then you, you know, got to so adjust gotta, your risk tolerance with your, with your professional, with your advisor. Right. And make sure yeah. you're, you're adjusting and having that discussion ahead of time. And it's just human nature. When, when sure. markets are going up, everyone's comfortable. Oh, you know, yeah, I want some more risk. I want some more, you know, but then when things get volatile, we naturally like to, to pull our, our risk back, but you've got to be very comfortable, careful with that. And that's where your advisor can help. Yeah, exactly. Is to have that discussion with you ahead of time. Walk through here. You know, I know you want more more upside, but let's talk that through. This is what to get that. You got to be comfortable with this. Yeah, you get to be that sounding board. Talk me off the ledge, Phil, uh, because I feel like I'm going to do something crazy, uh, or I'm freaking out, or whatever the case might be. So, so I I bring up often when I'm talking about that. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, but the S and P is up, you know, whatever, twenty percent last year." I said, "That's great. Are you comfortable losing 50? Well, no. (laughs) No, okay, well, then why about? are we even talking about the S&P then? Because that's what it has done. And I mean, at some point, very likely could do again. Who knows? I mean, it it, it goes through huge swings like this. It's so, just part of investing. I don't remember the exact so, numbers, but for last year, 21, let's just say the S&P was up 40% at the end of the year. I don't remember. It was high. I don't think it was that high. Yeah, either way. yeah, it was, yeah I don't think it was that high. I think it was in the, the upper 20s, but yeah. But let's just call it 40 for sake of the argument. Yeah. So, and, and somebody will, people will often say, well, I didn't get 40, so I should, right. I should fire my advisor. They're doing something wrong. It's like, no, ask the question, how were you weighted? Because if you said right. to your advisor, I don't want to take a lot of risk, then they have you positioned to where you are not going to get all of that 40. You're only going to get partial, uh, portion of it. Is that, is that kind of a accurate? A- absolutely. And, and, and the other piece of it too, is we're going to wait on a rabbit hole with this, but I mean, um, the S&P really isn't a good representation of the market, right? I mean, if you really get into it because, right. But yeah, in general, if you look at the markets, I mean, yeah, that you can't just look at a market, right? Every, like I said, everyone wants the upside. No one wants the downside, but it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Whether it's the Dow or any index that you use, any of the index, if we hear on the news that it finished off the year at 30% and you go digging into your statements and go, I only made 18, my advisor is doing something wrong. 
before right. you go to that, you jump off that cliff, just make sure you figure out, you know, what did you tell them? Did you tell them, I don't want to have a lot at risk? That may right. play what were you factor. comfortable with on the downside? That may play so. a factor into that. Okay. Uh, so let's see yep. if we can get to a few more of these here. So, sure. so all of that leads us into something like dollar cost averaging, because then you may hear your advisor say, well, we need to be dollar cost averaging. So what is that? Dollar cost averaging really, it helps you kind of level out that volatility. Okay. I mean, the, the challenge always is when you're investing is what's the right time. You know, everyone wants to buy in at the bottom, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, they, that doesn't happen very often, right? So what do you sit on the sidelines forever waiting for that and then jump in? Right. Well, now you missed a lot of the upside. So, I mean, dollar cost averaging is a way of um, taking that volatility and, and kind of smoothing it out from your investment. And we do that over time, you're, right? You're putting it in over time. Yeah. And I mean, there's pros and cons there because I mean, to do that, now you've got to sit on the sidelines and, you know, hindsight, I can tell you exactly what the right decision would have been. But, you know, if, if we did that and the markets were rising, you're going to say, well, yeah, but we missed out on all this upside. You know, so, but if we did that and markets dropped, well, now that would work a lot better because if we would have put it up here all in at the peak, uh-huh. you know, versus down here. So, so Phil, is that like selling off the dogs, uh, selling, excuse me, uh, maybe taking some winnings off the table and then repositioning and buying some things at a, at a, when they're on sale? Is that, or is that tax no, loss? No, I mean, that, that's going to be more like tax loss harvesting okay. or rebalancing. Okay. You know, when you're rebalancing a portfolio, mm-hmm. bringing it back into what your allocation is. Dollar cost averaging is really more when you put money in. Okay. All right. I mean, by, by just by nature, when you're putting money into a 401k out of your paycheck, you're, you're naturally dollar cost averaging into a market because every paycheck money is going in. Gotcha. You know, so, okay. I mean, as you put the money in, it kind of went in on that average price over time. You didn't get the high with everything. You didn't get the low with everything. You got that average cost. You got the average. So, okay. Makes yep. sense. It's right there in the title, average. Uh, all right. So how about the difference between bonds and stocks? I think most of us got this, but just give us a quick one. Yeah. I mean, at a high level, basically, it's it's your relationship to the company. You own it or you, you're a lender to it. Right. So a bond, you're lending the, the money to the company, a, a stock, you own a piece of the equity, so to speak, on the balance sheet. Not to get too deep in the accounting of it, but you actually own part of the company. Right. And, it's, you know, capital stack, if you want to think of it that way. And, and there's risks on both sides. I mean, the, the bondholders have less risk, but less upside too. less right, risk right. because if, if things go south, they get paid first. Right. So if a company is going bankrupt, bondholders are going to get paid off first the stockholders get whatever's left. But on the flip side, you know, if, if things are going well with a company, bondholders only get what the bond says, you know, so their principal plus whatever interest, a stockholder yeah. has the potential of getting more. You know, and so the that's interest the, rate and the feds are going to change that whole bond equation. Yeah, the, exactly. So the, the bond side of it changes the whole picture, you know, with where interest rates are potentially yeah. heading now. So you got to be very careful with and buying bonds bond. generally are, are a less volatile, right? Uh, more conservative investment in general. Right. Um, but there's more risk in, in a bond today than there has been in a lot of years. Well, we typically hear people, that's that old mentality of saying, well, go to bonds when you get older because they're safer. And that yep. used to be the case a long time ago, your traditional 60, 40, if you will. But that's something where, Again, now it's a little more risky, and so there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff yeah. with the bonds over the over the rest of this year if the Fed starts ticking up. Because if you've bought a bond at one rate, and someone can buy a bond with, with a higher interest rate, you've got a dog now, right? Basically, right? They're not going to pay you face value for your bond anymore because they can take that money and go get the higher interest rate. So you're sure. you're going to have a discount, a loss on your bond. So okay. yeah. 
So definitely got something to be aware of the differences there. Uh, Differences between ETFs, uh, mutual funds, index funds, target date funds. There's a lot in there. So let's start with what's an ETF. Yeah. Yeah. So just a high level ETF mutual funds. I mean, an ETF is think of it almost like a fixed basket of whatever the underlying holdings are. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's not money coming in and out of an ETF on a daily basis. I mean, it, it's a fixed basket. So it trades just like a stock. So you can right. get that intraday pricing. You want to buy it right now, markets open, whatever the price is, just like a stock, you get it. Right. A mutual fund, on the other hand, is a um, it's a, a, a pooled investment vehicle that as investors put money in, this pool is going to expand and contract every day as money comes in and goes out, inflows and outflows. And because of that, we don't know what the price is until the end of the day. That's just how mutual funds work is at the end of the day, they value everything that's in the fund by the number of shares. There's you know roughly what your, your value is. It's a little more complex yeah. than that, but generally that net asset value concept, I mean, that's where it comes into play. You know, So ETFs are more what I would call an unmanaged basket. It's fixed. You know, mm-hmm. and, and from our manager standpoint, we use ETFs because we know exactly what it is. We're buying this segment of a market. We're getting a broad exposure into that segment of a market. Mutual funds can be managed or not, you know, but right. they're okay. uh, generally the thought in a mutual fund is it's more managed. So you've got a, you know, you're in whatever segment of the market and you've got a manager running that strategy, picking the underlying investments and changing them potentially. Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons to how that works. Mutual funds, there's a lot of challenges in, in how they work structurally just because of the inflow and outflow. Yeah. An index fund is if you think of like a, a mutual fund, um, that is more fixed, right? So there's a manager still, but they're not really buying and selling based on what they think the best ones are. They're just, it's just to the index. That chasing an like, index, if you want to think of it yeah. that way. So an S&P index fund, it, it's meant to try to mirror that index. Yeah, okay. So because of that, fees are generally lower because the manager is really not active inside that fund. Gotcha. And there's so many indexes, it's picking an index and it's just going. It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then a target date fund is a, we're, a lot of us are probably familiar with that because we often pick that when we're first signing up at work or, or whatever the case is for our retirement right. date. Maybe you're in a 2030 or a 2040 fund. Mm-hmm. Well, and target dates are, have become, you mentioned 401ks more kind of that default investment option. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you don't know what to pick, they're going to put you into a target date fund based on your age. You know, based if you look age, at the, yeah. the, 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 um, the plan documents, it'll tell you, you know, if here's your ages, this is the target date they're going to put you in. Um, target date funds to me are, they're kind of dangerous because you really have to understand what's going on. I mean, most people think of, you know, okay, a 2022 20, target date fund. So I'm, I'm retiring this year. Well, that's got to be a conservative fund. Right. Not really. No. I mean, it, it's it's about a 60-40 allocation. They, they pretty at, much max at, at out that at target. Yeah, they max out at 50-50 is what I heard. The lowest that some yeah, of it, lowest. Yep. And then, and then as it starts to, to, as you age, right. So mm-hmm. you get beyond that target date, it does start to move more towards the bond allocation, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're never going to get down to 90% you know, bond. It, right. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah. it has a, always has an equity component. And that being said too, kind of playing back to our discussion on bonds, mm-hmm. bonds with interest rates rising today, is that really a safe bet inside, you know, safe side of that target date fund. Um, well, it's, it's the automation of it. It's what it sounds like, Phil, is that we have these, we've right. made so many automated things and, and that's fine and dandy when the system is kind of keeping with the norm, but everything yes. we've experienced the last 
well, maybe 12 years or whatever is almost outside right. the norm. Right. So yeah, you get in a more normal market, a target date fund generally kind of works, you know, yeah. I mean, but there's, again, it comes back to, you know, do you want to guess at retirement or do you want to have an actual plan? A target date is to me, a guess it's a, I just want to do it easy, set it, forget it. You know, it's going to adjust as I right. age. And, and, and it does. If that's the minimum you're understand. willing to put in, then at least you're doing that, right? Right, exactly. Versus just throwing it in an S and P fund, yeah, do that. At least there's yeah. some adjustments for or, it. Or the coffee you know, can but, in the backyard, one uh, of the two. Or right? the coffee can in the backyard, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, but you just uh, understand the risk that's in there. That's my biggest yeah. concern with target date funds. I think people way underestimate the risk that's inside a target date fund. Gotcha. Well, we're going to wrap this up this week because we don't want to make this one too long. We're going to drag some of this conversation about jargon into the next show. So again, we went through a bunch of the big pieces that are that tend to be going on right now because of all the things that we're seeing, because we are seeing volatility and we are seeing people, you know, concerned with their risk tolerance and are we in a bear? Are we in a bull and all the things we've kind of covered on this episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk on the next episode, the next podcast about how that relates with your advisor, uh, their designations, what you're looking for, in a potential advisor and what some of these terms and things mean to them. So stick around, check that out when we come back uh, in next week on the next show. Uh, if you're not subscribed to us, consider doing so on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, whatever platform you like to use. You can find it all at philstaxhacks.com. Phil, thanks for hanging out, my friend, and explaining some of this stuff. I'll see you in a week. Investment advisory services offered through AFS Wealth Management. The content of this program is provided for informational purposes only and is not a solicitation or recommendation of any investment strategy. Investments and or investment strategies involve risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will achieve its objectives.